Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We are Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. And we'll read down to verse 37. So this is God's word. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what ye have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. We are currently trying to get a workman to commit to doing a job at our house. Um, I will let the trade and the man's name remain nameless. But the first time I rang him, um, he asked me to send some pictures of, of, of what I wanted him to do. And he would call out to the house to look at it. So I rang him a couple of weeks later. And he said, could you send me the pictures again? And he would call over that week. So I rang him a couple of weeks later again. And he said, send me the pictures and I'll ring you back within the hour. So I rang him two hours later and he said he would call out with me and you know how these things go. That was two weeks ago and I haven't heard from him again. And I'm left thinking, just be honest with me. You know, if you can't do the job, that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to be annoyed. Well, in the sermon this morning, Jesus pleads for honesty among those in his kingdom. Now, as we know, Jesus has been teaching about kingdom righteousness, um, a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. Um, The scribes and Pharisees, we saw their focus was external obedience, they had been twisting the law of God to make it more manageable for themselves to keep. Jesus said he he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to give the law its true interpretation and full meaning. Jesus has been giving examples from the law which expose 
the, the scribes and Pharisees and also cause his people to search deep within their hearts. So we take the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, and show how this includes anger in our hearts. He took the seventh commandment, um, you shall not commit adultery, and showed how this includes lust within our hearts. This time, he doesn't take a specific commandment, although it does include the ninth commandment, but he really combines and summarizes several Old Testament teachings on oaths to show the Old Testament teaching in this area includes honesty and sincerity from our hearts. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. As I said, I think it definitely incorporates the teaching of the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. But I want to just look at another few references um, to help us see where the scribes and Pharisees were getting their thinking from. The first is Leviticus 19 and verse 12. We read there, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And then Numbers um, chapter 30, verse 2. I'll give you a moment to see, see some of you are looking that up. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. <clears throat> if a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then one more, Deuteronomy, over again, Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, verse 21. Deuteronomy 23, uh, verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So from these few references, we see that this teaching around oaths and vows, it includes promises made both to God and to people. And it would seem that the scribes and Pharisees, they were taking the Leviticus rule to mean that only if you swore using God's name were you then obliged to keep the oath or vow you had made. And only if you did not keep an oath made in God's name had you then sinned and would be punished 
by God. Now, if you turn with me to Matthew 23, we can see in more detail how the scribes and Pharisees were twisting the teaching of God. It's Matthew 23 and verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. So they had come up with all these various formulas for making oaths to allow themselves not to keep the oath and so avoid God's punishment. Jesus continues, verse 19 of Matthew 23. He says, You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they were placing all importance on these formulas while actually missing the importance of committing to the oath itself. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if you swear by the altar or the gift on the altar as an example, but whatever you promise and whatever you promise by, keep it. Now if we go back to Matthew 5, our passage for this morning, verse 34, I believe it was this distorted view of oath-making that caused Jesus to say, do not take an oath at all. So the Pharisees there were saying, well, if you swear by God's name, then you're obliged to keep it. But Jesus says, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And verse 36, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Now perhaps you're thinking, I've done a pretty good job of keeping my hair dark. I can hide the whites very well. But actually, naturally, you can't do anything to change the colour of your hair. And Jesus' point is that it doesn't matter what you swear by because everything has a connection to God. What does the psalmist tell us? Psalm 24, he says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Anything you may choose to swear by belongs to God. 
And so Jesus is saying, no matter what you swear by, you are obliged to keep it. And if you don't keep it, that is a sin and deserves punishment by God. And in verse 37, Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And it is really here we get our principle. And it is here really Jesus widens this teaching. And his point of teaching here in this section is very simple. Those in the kingdom of God are honest and truthful. Those in the kingdom shouldn't need oaths. We should be trustworthy people. People who do what we say and say what we mean. It's like when Jesus taught about divorce, the emphasis there was not to see all the reasons that we can get divorced, but that marriage is permanent. And likewise here, of course, the emphasis is not on what lies we might be able to tell and get away with, but that people of the kingdom are honest, truthful, trustworthy. Now, I've got a question that many will ask, are, are we never to make oaths of any kind, particularly in, in court or another formal setting? Some would say we, we shouldn't, according to this, this teaching in Matthew 5. Uh, I don't believe we need to take it this literally. I believe here Jesus is speaking against the abuse of oaths, the abuse of Old Testament teachings, as he has been doing right through here, rather than speaking against all oaths. You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they were using oaths to be deceitful rather than actually to confirm truth, which is the purpose of an oath. So for us to make an oath in a formal context to affirm our word, I don't believe it is sinning to do that. And if we even think of Jesus on trial, he was prepared to answer on oath. Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And actually, throughout Scripture, God has confirmed his promise to his people by oath. We go as far back as Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, this was after the incident of of Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. The Lord says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. See, God swore salvation for his people. God swore to send a redeemer from the house of David. We see that in Luke 1. 
God swore that, that this Redeemer would die and be raised to life. We see that in Acts 2. Now, why did God promise salvation by oath? Was it to make his word more credible? Well, no, of course not. But it was for his people's sake. Because as humans, we are expect almost promises to be broken. But as we see in, in Hebrews 6, for humans, an oath is final confirmation. And so for our sake, God made his promise by oath so that as we see in Hebrews, we could have strong encouragement, we could have surety of faith and steadfastness. Our hope for salvation is the truth of God's word. And we know that God's word, it is not just verbal, it is not just written, but is a person, his eternal son, Jesus Christ. And as those in the kingdom have come to know truth in Jesus Christ, we live lives that are defined by truth. If we think back to our Beatitudes, where we saw that pattern over and over again. Jesus Christ is mercy. So those in the kingdom are merciful. Jesus Christ is pure. Those in the kingdom are pure. Jesus Christ is peace. Those in the kingdom are peacemakers. And it is here we see Jesus Christ is truth. Those in the kingdom are truthful, honest, trustworthy. So let's take a little time and help us to apply this honesty principle to our lives. The teaching here this morning, it is just so practical. And I guess there are endless applications that we could make. But I'll give you a few to help you think this through. And the first one is honesty to God. Honesty to God. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Now, the context here in Ecclesiastes is public worship. And the writer's saying, when we gather to worship God, be careful what you vow to God. I think when we're in a worship Context, there's a, a temptation almost to get caught up in the moment and we make promises to God that we're not going to keep. But perhaps we're in that context of worship and, uh, and we're thinking about a sin struggle and, and we commit to God, God, I, I am never going to do that again. That's it. I'm done with it. 
Or perhaps we, we commit to God in that time, God, I, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Nothing is going to stop me. Now, these are certainly good desires. They're good desires. But don't vow to God what you're not going to keep. The writer in Ecclesiastes says, vows like this that you won't keep, that it's just like daydreaming. But rather, when you are in worship, don't be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That is just, just be in awe of who God is. Don't say a word. Just be in awe of who God is. And we want to be honest with God in our prayers. There's so many psalms we could draw on that would be helpful to us. But what we often see in the Psalms, and I think is what many people, why many people really connect with the Psalms, is there's, there's just a brutal honesty um, as the psalmist pours out his heart before God. And that's such a privilege that, that we have, in fact, that we're told to do in Psalm 62, just to pour out our hearts. And as we pour out our hearts to God, we want to do that with brutal honesty. Because, of course, we can't hide our feelings and emotions to God. There's absolutely no point coming to God and saying one thing but feeling another. Psalm 77 is, I think, one helpful example of this. The psalmist there, he says, I cry aloud to God, in my day of trouble I seek God. And he describes to God that he is weary, he can find no comfort, and when he remembers God, he just moans. In fact, he's so troubled, he says, he can barely speak. And he talks about days in the past, he, he remembers days in the past and they're just painful because those days were just so much better to what life is now. And he takes us all a stage further because he then begins to question the Lord. He says, will the Lord never be favourable to me again? He says, has his steadfast love ceased? Have God's promises ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious? And, and has he shut up his compassion? You, you see what he's saying? He's saying that in his current circumstances, circumstances, he wonders if the Lord is even there. He just feels so distant, he cannot feel the Lord's love or grace or compassion. And what does he do about that? He tells it to God. He's honest with God. And what you see in the Psalms, and you see this pattern over and over, is actually that as he pours out his heart, 
and is so honest that it is actually then he's able to rationalize. It is actually then he's able to catch hold of who God really is. And you see the psalm turn right around to end in praise. So we want to be honest with God. And we want to be honest with ourselves. And we saw the past few weeks that we need to be honest with ourselves about the condition of our own hearts. Those in the kingdom, they know sin in their hearts, whether that's anger or lust or lies or every other expression of sin, whatever that may be. We recognize sin in our heart and we preach gospel truth to ourselves. Truth of God's grace and forgiveness and cleansing and power to transform us. When we are suffering in many and varied ways, we need to preach gospel truth to ourselves. We need to recall all that God has done for us. Again, to refer to that psalm, the psalmist says there, I will recall, he sets his mind to recall all that God has done. We need to do that for ourselves. To recall that God has indeed chosen us to be his eternal children. That he has sent Christ to take sin's punishment. That he has raised him to life again so that death is defeated. And given us the certainty and hope of life forever with God. We need to remind ourselves that God is in fact with us. God will not leave us. He is not punishing us ever. But is keeping us secure in Christ. And what God has begun in our lives, he will surely complete. And it is recalling truth that will sustain us when we are not experiencing its reality. You know, as people, I think we need to not take ourselves too seriously. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. When I, when I was working in Carrick Baptist, um, I brought a PowerPoint on a, on a memory stick um, to the church administrator and she told me just to, to up, upload my PowerPoint to Dropbox and I asked Tracy um, where the box was for my little memory stick um, which is just embarrassing um, she began to laugh I realised what I had said and then I said oh I'm sorry I, I misheard you I knew exactly what you meant um, I was just simply too embarrassed to be honest, we can do that, can't we? We can present ourselves better than we are, perhaps, to gain praise. We can present ourselves worse than we are to gain sympathy. We can exaggerate our skills and abilities and hard work and our knowledge, perhaps even in theology, to somehow impress others. No, those in the kingdom of God, they simply let their yes be yes and their no 
be. No, they're very simply honest. We're honest with God, honest with ourselves, honest with others. We think about here in the family of God. Paul writes to the Ephesians to speak the truth in love um, so the body of Christ can grow up in him to maturity. And in the context there, it's in contrast to every wind of doctrine. We are to speak gospel truth, scripture to each other. We are to help each other to see and to grasp truth in our sin struggles, in our sufferings. Or perhaps where, where others have not fully grasped or understood a particular teaching in Scripture, we are to help them work that out and see truth. And of course, it's key, this is to be done in love. Only saying what builds up, Paul says. Only what is fitting for the occasion. So there may be times when it's appropriate to speak, and there may be times when it's not. And we speak in truth to always give grace to those who hear. Perhaps think honesty in the home, still thinking of others. Honesty in the home. Keep your commitments to a spouse or children. Your children are so good at this, I think, because they will remember things and they will see things through. If you promise to do something, um, they are going to remind you, and of course they'll be disappointed if it doesn't happen. We want to say what we mean and do what we say. Now, of course, there are times when things just simply don't work out as planned, and we all need to learn to adopt to that, adapt to that. But perhaps there are other times. And we should have kept those perhaps small commitments. And actually when we haven't been true to our words, we've given the message that perhaps our spouse or perhaps our children just aren't as important as that other thing or that other person. And of course, as we do in the church, we want to strive to teach gospel truth, scripture in our homes at every opportunity. Finally then, we want to be honest with the lost. We do not present the church or Christ as something it is not. We are honest about sin and judgment and the call to sacrifice. And we are honest about grace and love and mercy and the hope of heaven we are honest there is one exclusive way to God and that is through Jesus Christ who is himself the way the truth and the life let us pray